Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for May 9th, 2010. And we're going to be switching gears here on the study and looking at uh, some articles here. The first one's entitled, Government Admits They Protect Opium and Terrorize Families. We're going to be watching a clip from Alex Jones that puts, uh, this clip puts into perspective the radical behavior of the SWAT teams and other governmental enforcement agencies who recently raided and terrorized a family and killed two dogs in order to bust a man for one gram of marijuana. Now, you can say what you will about Alex Jones, but he didn't make this clip up. <laughs> this this clip, and you won't be able to see it, but you'll be able to click on this link here if you want to watch it. And it, it's it's really, really horrific and really sad. Um, and uh, I'm going to play it, play this whole thing for you. And then I'm going to back this information up with two other articles regarding going all the way back to Clinton and the Bush in regard to uh, their connection with actually bringing in drugs into this country. And uh, the information is absolutely overwhelming if you look at this in totality. Uh, I've known about this for a long time. This is just one more video that confirms that this is the case. And again, order out of chaos, as I've said before, their motto. Well, they create the chaos, they create the uh, the drug trade, and then they can control it, and then the chaos that that is going to create by getting a whole bunch of people hooked on drugs, through that chaos, they're going to be able to bring about their order. It's just one aspect of the New World Order, but it is a main, or not a main, it is a major aspect of the New World Order that a lot of Christians are not aware of whatsoever. And um, we're going to be looking at several news clips here in this. And these are from mainstream media. This is what they're admitting to. It's not really debatable. It's what they're admitting to. So uh, the end of this description says, at the same time, the CIA and other drug agencies, other agencies of the government have admittedly carried out narco-trafficking operation for decades. This is especially true in Afghanistan, where troops guard opium crops, and the fight against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda is mired in drug trafficking. So let's go ahead and we'll start this clip here, and you'll be able to hear what's going on. The video you're about to see is standard operating procedure and happens thousands of times per week in the United States. This was Columbia, Missouri... Sorry. SWAT team goes in. The people open the front door. They go in. They have a Welsh corgi and a bulldog. The dogs are barking at them, and they shoot them both and kill them. Then you see the little... Now, you hear what he said? They shot this guy's Welsh corgi and um, bulldog. They killed him right when they walked in the door. You hear the gunshots, and you'll you'll get confirmation. You'll In the second clip of this, you'll actually hear the poor little dog squealing as it's getting killed. I mean, this is sick. A Welch Corgi? I mean, those things are so cute. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is terrific. Children, you see the father crying when he finds out his dogs are dead. And you look at the looks on the police officer's face when he's crying. And they've got this look of power-tripping enjoyment. And they won't ever respond to him. They won't ever talk to him when he asks questions. So he doesn't respond to them after that when they ask him questions. And they reported that they found one gram of marijuana in his marijuana pipe. Ladies and gentlemen, let me explain something here. The drug war 
was initiated after Prohibition in the 1930s. The trafficking interest controlled by Yale University, Skull and Bones, and others, this is all on record, traveled around the country and got the states and the federal government to pass laws against opium, heroin, cocaine, things like that, that were sold at convenience stores. It was sold at every major little pharmacy. And in the old days, convenience stores were mainly pharmacies. They had newspapers and drugs and things. Less people were using marijuana, cocaine, heroin when they were legal. Once they made them Now, this is actually true. Um, the word heroin, um, they actually they actually use opium-based uh, products in many uh, op- opium-based things in many of the of the things in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s. And it's well known this was done, okay? Even Coca-Cola. Originally, when Coca-Cola came out, it actually had some cocaine in it. That's why they called it Coca-Cola. They took that out eventually. They had cough medicines that they would give to babies, and they worked real good because they had uh, opium-based narcotics in them. And although it would stop the baby from coughing, when um, when they stopped giving them the cough medicine, the baby would go into withdrawal. And start shaking uncontrollably. Uh, the reason heroin got its nickname, or its name, is because when the drug companies were testing it, they first tested it on their employees, and they asked them, how does this drug make you feel? And a common response that they received at the time was, it makes me feel like the heroin of, of a story. Like, in the Teutonic legends, I was a heroine, I was, I was the I was the one that you know, slayed the dragon, this type of feeling that it gave you. That's how heroin got its name. So, what he's saying is true. Anyway, let's go further. Illegal, the price went way up. And the reason I raise this issue is, no one is safe. The police can bust in your door because some drug addict informant says that they saw marijuana there. And I thought about my French bulldog. What happens with my 35-pound dog and my chihuahua if a SWAT team ever comes to my house? And I don't even smoke marijuana. I do drink some. And my dogs will bark. They will run out. They will jump out of the bed. They sleep with us. And the police will kill them. Years ago, on my local TV show, we did episode after episode of locals who were SWAT teamed where drugs weren't even found. And they would come in and kill a lab that was even chained up in the kitchen. And we went and showed photos of it with his brains blown out and its intestines everywhere. And the cops were laughing in that case. And they fired bullets through the wall that went into the baby crib in one case. And the issue is these police officers have lost their souls. They're getting off on this. Does that mean all police are getting off on it? No. But the issue is the phony drug war gives the Pentagon that's involved in it and the militarized police an excuse to be involved in our daily lives, to knock down our doors, uh, to give them some type of fake jurisdiction. So we're going to play you clips uh, from this video of what they've done, and we'll post the full video shot by the police up in the corner if you want to watch it. Now, this is the full video we're watching of this raid of these guys, these jackboot thugs dressed in their Nazi-style black outfits and helmets breaking into this guy. They end up finding one, supposedly one gram, which is an infinitesimal amount of marijuana in his pipe. And they kill his dogs, and it's just, it's unbelievable. And this isn't, this isn't like Alex Jones making this stuff up. This happened. This is, you know, a real video here. You 
you hear the dog squealing? I just killed killed one of the dogs. Don't move! You understand? Put your hands behind your back! Do it now! Behind your back! What is happening? Search warrant! Narcotic search warrant, don't move. Turn around right here. Don't move. Did you shoot? Did you shoot my dog? Stand up! Uh, you, you heard what he said. He, you shot my dog, and, and, and he's bawling his eyes out. It, it, this is this is so sad. I'm trying to play with you. She was probably trying to play with you. Once we get down, let's get him in the car. Yeah. You hear what he said. The dog was probably trying to play with you, if anything. These guys are dressed up in absolute full riot gear, essentially. Like, one of those dogs could have done any damage. To, the, to those police officers. There's no way. They've got, you know, laced up boots. They probably have shin guards on. I mean, knee pads, the whole nine yards. They're totally protected. No reason for this. You have the right to And just so you know, there's a little, there was a little boy in there. His little child was one of the first people they saw ushered out. And the mom was in there as well. And the, and the man has given them no resistance whatsoever. But this is why I'm doing this video. This is why I'm so outraged. This is the key. It has come out in the last eight years that the Taliban had cut off almost all opium production in Afghanistan, previously the main site of opium that then produces heroin. And that the U.S. government went in and started helping the Afghans grow the opium again. And, of course, the CIA got caught in Vietnam on record shipping opium out. They were caught in 1996. Uh, even the CIA inspector general admitted that most of the cocaine for the crack cocaine epidemic was shipped in. And now in Afghanistan, because Pat Tillman wrote letters home before they killed him saying, look, we're growing the opium, this is wrong, I'm against this war, it's a fraud. Now because all that info's come out and the troops are there being forced to help grow the opium, they've come out in the New York Times and said, yeah, Mohammed Karzai's brother, the president of Afghanistan, is the biggest drug dealer. Yeah, we're letting him grow the opium. Yeah, we're helping him. We've got to do this or Al-Qaeda. Now, he's throwing up news story after news story after news story where the controlled media is actually admitting this because they really can't cover it up. It's, it's too overt. So he's showing story after story after story backing this up. It will get the money. No, you decriminalize it, and then Al-Qaeda, the CIA, they won't have the profit because it's illegal anymore, and it won't have the huge profits involved in it with the black market. But here's the deal. The government ships most of the cocaine in. The only people they bust are those that aren't paying their cut. Okay? The government ships in almost all the heroin. It's more than up 12 times what it was eight and a half years ago when we invaded Afghanistan. Record numbers. Over 90% of global opium is coming out of Afghanistan. And they have Geraldo Rivera there with the Marine Corps commander going, I don't like it, but we've got to help them grow it. And, you know, we're here letting them do it. The hard part now is governing this province. A province as you. Now we're going to hear the clip from Geraldo Rivera where he's interviewing the military. Okay, so again, <laughs> this isn't this isn't Alex Jones' information here. This is an independent, you know, obviously controlled media type of report. But this is what they're admitting to, right on Fox News. 
suggest that it's become addicted to opium in many, many ways. That is the principal crop that is being grown here. Uh, the Taliban lend the farmers the money. They are indebted to the Taliban. They have to grow the opium. Now the Marines in their success are in a sense a victim of their success because now the population is, uh, you know, they have these opium fields and we are tolerating it. We are tolerating the cultivation of the opium because we know that if we were to destroy it now, the population would turn against the Marines and it would be a real security risk that you watch. When has that ever been a factor in war? I mean, come on. And again, it's just the excuse that they're using. He flashed up a news report where there's been a 40-fold increase of opium from Afghanistan in, in the last time period, in the time period we've actually been occupying Afghanistan. So it's all a big excuse to justify the drug trade. As long as they can control it, though, it's okay with them. As uh, this opium is being grown, I know it, it grinds at your gut. Uh, how do you deal with it? What are you doing about it? Well, uh, frankly, this is a part of their culture. So uh, while it might grind in my gut, it, it's what they do. I, I fault the politicians for putting the Marines in this position, uh, you know, where we can't eradicate these, uh, these crops uh, for security reasons. And That's the point. They ship it in to have an excuse to bust down your door and build giant prisons. We have the biggest prison population in the world, and no one is safe. I've seen countless reports of you know, retired CPAs and people when the SWAT team raids the wrong house and kills them, or old ladies, 90-something years old, and they shoot them and kill them. And then you see the cops laughing about it, you see them enjoying it, you see them on this big power trip, and you also have the police raiding real drug dealers and keeping the money, keeping the drugs, seizing their assets, uh, taking cash out of people's wallets on the highway, letting illegal aliens go that have been caught with $105,000 of drugs just last week in Tennessee. The government runs the narcotics business. And they then put you in their private prisons making license plates and uh, making furniture to then compete with everybody else that's on the outside. So the prisoners are making 25 cents an hour. That drives down wages just like the illegal aliens do. Mexico is collapsing because of the phony drug war. The United States is going to collapse. And this is pure Nazi Germany to have men come in your house and kill your dogs because they bark at them every single day in this country and then just sit there smugly enjoying the power trip from what they've done. Think about it. The troops are over in Afghanistan growing the opium. They're going to come back. Most of them are going to end up being SWAT team people and cops, and then they're going to raid your house for a gram of marijuana. You think about that. Eighty-plus percent of the American people smoke marijuana or have smoked it. Most cops have smoked it, but they don't care. They're going to come in your house, kill your dogs in front of your little kids. They're going to drag you off to jail for a gram of marijuana. That's less than a joint. This is completely disgusting and sickening. So you've seen the video of the kids, the dogs bleeding to death in pain. You've seen the cops with their smug looks of enjoyment whenever the father is crying. And you've seen the newscast where Fox News is explaining to you, we've got to help grow the opium, we've got to let them do this. To now also bear in mind during the news clip that we just played for you, they were on their best behavior because they were being filmed. And they knew they were being filmed. The film crew followed the SWAT team into this guy's house. So they were on their best behavior. My word, I would hate to see what it would have been like if they weren't. Fight Al-Qaeda. It is a sickening fraud. And look, they were denying this years ago. But now because it's so out in the open and the troops are writing home and speaking out about why are we growing the opium, they're just hiding it in plain view. We help grow the opium, we let them ship it out, 
And then if we catch you with it, we're going to kill your dogs and come in your house. And if we catch you with marijuana, we're going to do it. Because we're fighting drugs. Because drugs are bad. It's all these fake moral people in America who are supporting the drug war like a bunch of ignoramuses who are allowing this giant police state to grow up around them that is going to enslave them and their families. Understand. The troops throwing puppies off cliffs, the troops shooting children, the troops torturing people, they're having their minds warped. And they're coming back to become cops who have that hunger to see that pain and to have that domination and to have that control going after drugs that were shipped in by the government. But why do they hate marijuana so much? The government doesn't control marijuana. It can be grown anywhere. And that's why they're doing it. That's why they're coming against the American people. This Now, regarding this subject as well, I've talked to uh, uh, several ex-military that have come back from overseas. And I'm telling you, uh, pretty much across the board, particularly if they saw combat action, they're, they're adversely affected uh, by what they've went through over there. A lot of the, and, and you know, they, they can't get help really through the VA. The, the VA is really kind of a joke a lot of times regarding trying to deal with them. And the best that they, they're going to do anyway is put them on some psychotropic uh, pharmacia sorcery medication that's not going to fix anything. You know, they need help through the Lord Jesus Christ. But a lot of these men are coming back from overseas, and like he was just saying there, and they are um, really, really messed up from what they went through overseas. And it's totally suppressed in the media. But I've talked to enough of them to know that they are, and they are, are desperate for help, a lot of them, and they're not getting any. So many times, if you're in that situation, and that's all you've ever known, and you get into law enforcement, you are going to carry that same attitude, uh, or whatever baggage you brought back from your military service onto the job, and that's why it's no wonder this stuff's going on with um, some levels of law enforcement isn't America. This isn't freedom. It is a fraud. Remember that. The government openly ships the drugs in now. They hide it in plain view and admit they're doing it and they think you're too stupid to put two and two together. In the New York Times and AP and everywhere, the Russians said let us go in and spray the opium. We're losing 30,000 Russians a year from heroin overdoses. And NATO said no. We're not going to allow eradication. U.S. troops are now basically farmers. Now, again, as he's saying all of this, he's flashing the news reports that confirm what he's saying in the background. So, just so you know. They're helping grow the opium, protecting it, and then it's shipped out of the country, and it's come out that a lot of the big defense contractors and private mercenary groups are busy flying the drugs out. And they're also using rendition CIA aircraft for kidnapped people in the U.S. and worldwide they grab to also fly the drugs in and out. That's like a few years ago, Reuters reported that a CIA aircraft filled with pure cocaine coming from the source crashed in Mexico. And now that's not enough. This big police state's hungry for the American people. They're trying to pass laws where no judge, no jury, no charge. Now notice how he said CIA aircraft filled with cocaine, because we're going to get into that in, uh, after this report. They just put you on a no-fly list. You can't buy guns. Now they've got bills introduced uh, where Lieberman's out there promoting and has a good chance of passing that if they say they think you might be a terrorist, your constitutional rights are stripped, your citizenship is stripped, and you're given to a secret military team and can be tortured. This is an illegitimate criminal narcotics trafficking government. Stop shipping the drugs in, government, and stop using it as a pretext to pack your private prisons and raid people's houses while the cops get stinking rich of all the drug money and drugs they steal.
Okay, I'm going to stop there because he really gets a little radical at the end here. Uh, and anyway, um, I wanted to kind of go over that with you a little bit. Now, we're going to give you some more confirmation right now regarding this. That This goes back a long way. This just didn't start, you know, since Obama took office. The next uh, film clip that you can watch, and this is a, this is a documentary. It's called The Mina Connection, Mina, Arkansas. Bush, Clinton, and the CIA drug smuggling. And uh, this film includes clips from mainstream media at the time, CBS, etc. Uh, this is regarding um, an independent group of researchers in Arkansas are charging Governor Bill Clinton is covering up on the airport used by the CIA and major cocaine smugglers in a remote corner of the Ozark Mountains. I, this is me in Arkansas. According to Deborah Robinson in The Times... The Intermountain Regional Airport in Mena, Arkansas, continues to be a hub of operations for people like assassinated cocaine kingpin Barry Seal, as well as the government intelligence operations linked to arms and drug smuggling. In the 1980s, the Mena Airport became one of the world's largest aircraft refurbishing centers, providing services to planes from many countries. Researchers claim that the largest consumers of aircraft refurbishing services are drug smugglers and intelligence agencies involved in covert activities. In fact, residents of Mena, Arkansas, have told reporters that former Marine Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North was a frequent visitor during the 1980s. Eugene Hassenfuss, a pilot who was shot down in the Contra supply plane over Nicaragua in 1986, was also seen in the town renting cargo vehicles. A federal grand jury, jury looking into the activities at Mena Airport refused to hand down any indictments after the drug running charges were made public. Deborah Robinson says Clinton had, quote, ignored the situation until he began his presidential campaign. <clears throat> Clinton then said he would provide money for a state-run investigation of the mean airport. But according to Robinson, the promise of an investigation was never followed up by the Clinton staff. In fact, a local Arkansas police state prosecutor blasted Clinton's promise of an investigation comparing it to spitting on a forest fire. Well, Clinton was in on it. And this video here will prove it. I'm not going to play it because it's, it's very long. But then you can look at the next one, which is called the Clinton Chronicles. And I had actually bought this video uh, quite a while ago, and uh, years ago, and watched it, and watched it several times. And it documents uh, all of the, the drug ties. It gets into the whole Mena, Arkansas uh, airport thing, how Clinton was involved in that, how Hillary was involved with it. The bushes, it really is this bad. It really is this bad. If you think that, you know, if you believe that there's 13 families that essentially give their allegiance to Satan that kind of control the earth, why would any of this surprise you? They're the ones that have all these people underneath them, like these politicians on a string, and essentially control the world through Satan. Now, I understand the Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. I'm just talking about from a worldly standpoint here. But the Clinton Chronicles... I'll give you the whole, you can click on this link and you can watch the whole movie for free up there about it. It's impeccably documented. So is the documentary, this Mina, uh, this uh, Mina Connection, the first one that we talked about. Uh, it's amazing. And it shows you the trail of dead bodies left by the Clintons of people that either knew too much or got in their way during this time. And this was just when he was the governor of Arkansas. This was before he even became president primarily. 
It's absolutely overwhelming, the amount of information. Yet it's all suppressed in the mainstream media. You gotta, you know, you gotta dig for it. But uh, it really is that bad. And so when I saw this thing with Alex Jones, it was just pure confirmation of all of the research I've done relating to this, starting way over ten years ago, just regarding the finding out about the Clintons. So, okay, let's go to the next uh, article here. It's uh, Democrats pledge national biometric ID vote in the next few months. Senator Charles Schumer highlighted a proposal to implement a nationwide worker verification program, which would require every worker to carry a national identification card with biometric information, meaning most likely uh, like a retinal scan, iris, possibly DNA. So every worker would have to carry national identification card with biometric information within six years. That proposal has already drawn fire from the ACLU, but Schumer said it is essential to stem the tide of illegal workers. See, they create the problem, they open up the borders, they let them, the illegal aliens pour in, they, you know, which has all of these unbelievably horrific consequences doing that, and then they offer the solution, which is taking away more of our rights, and among other things. And the biometric uh, national ID card is kind of like the forerunner to the mark of the beast, because then after that what they'll say is, well, this national ID card is all well and good, but you can lose it. See, if you have a right, a mark in your right hand or your forehead, you can't lose that. So it's better. can't lose it. That's how they're going to work this. Now, I've done several studies on the mark. All you have to do is go up to YouTube, key in Scott Johnston, and then just key in the word mark, and, or whatever subject you're wanting to find. If I've talked about it, it'll most likely be up there. Going further, it says, Our proposal recognizes that no matter what we do on the border, we'll only succeed in dramatically reducing future illegal immigration by creating an employment verification system that holds employers accountable for knowingly hiring illegal workers, he said. The ACLU panned the proposal in a press statement earlier in the day. Uh, I, I believe they meant to oppose the proposal, saying it would usher in the government to the very center of our lives. Okay, Not to say that I agree with ACLU on <laughs> most things, but in that particular issue, you know. Anyway, uh, I've had some people ask me about that, and, and they are definitely proposing that this take place. And, you know, the Bible predicts it's going to happen in one way, shape, or form, and so it really shouldn't surprise us when we see these things. But again, I say a lot of what I say, not so that we can sit here and wring our hands about it and get upset and worry, because the fear of man bringeth a snare. The Bible says that. And, you know... We don't want to. We don't want to operate in this fear of man. But it is something that we can take to the Lord in prayer, prayer and fasting. We can pray about these things, and um, we can be prepared as well. Prepare ourselves for what's coming. This next article: um, sexual slavery of children on Main Street, USA, is growing. For 72 hours last fall, FBI agents and local police targeted truck stops, casinos, nightclubs, and adult entertainment spots. 36 American cities to rescue teenagers being trafficked for sex. During the raid, October raids, law enforcement rescued 52 minors under the age of 18, trafficked in either prostitution or the adult entertainment industry. Nearly 700 people, including 60 pimps, were charged. During 2003, the task forces recovered 886 minors from the sex industry. The raids have resulted in 510 convictions 
and 3.1 million in property seizures. Despite these victories, new research indicates that the sex trafficking problem in the U.S. is more widespread and more severe than previously thought. And again, these are things you know to pray about because a lot of Americans or a lot of Christians have no clue any of this is even going on. In some cases, children as young as nine years old are being sold for sex by parents or boyfriends in exchange for drugs. And we just talked about the drugs, you know. And I would say probably meth, crystal meth, is probably the worst as far as just if you really want to get absolutely demon-possessed as quickly as possible, that's the drug of choice. I've never seen a drug ruin somebody like that drug will. And they open doors. The drugs open doors into the demonic world. Now, that's where I differ with Jones about legalizing everything. You know, I, I don't... I, I Listen... When I went to college, uh, when I was in chiropractic college, and my roommate—I mean, my word—she'd get high three, four times every day. And, and my room, other roommate, um, it was unbelievable. Getting high all the time, three, four times a day, and I saw how it affected them, and I saw what kind of denial they were in about. Oh, I don't have a problem. I don't, you know, and then this was all before I was saved and everything, but I still knew, I mean, that it was wrong, you know, and I mean, I had, I had two female roommates in college, and they were like my sisters, I never even, it was, it was totally, you know, even, even though I was unsafe, everything was appropriate there, but the thing is, I saw how it affected my one roommate and my other roommate's boyfriend, and I mean, they were in absolute total denial, and I've been around enough people, particularly growing up, I grew up, I, I, a lot of the friends I had, because I was pretty wild growing up, they were into like pot and stuff like that. Some of them got into a lot worse. I never really got into that stuff. Um, and the thing is, is it puts you in a state of denial. Like, I don't really have a problem. This drug's not a problem, this or that. You know, I'm not real wild on legalizing something that allows demons to enter into the body and, and, and essentially take over the more you smoke. And it, is, and it is addictive. And I don't care what anybody says to me. I've been around enough people that smoke pot to know that it is and know what it does to you ultimately. And it does open demonic doors. Now, obviously, there's other drugs that are a lot stronger, and I believe they're stronger in opening up these demonic pathways. Whether you're talking about a step up like into cocaine, heroin, now we're getting really bad, crystal meth, terrible things, but they, oh, the bottom line is, is the common denominator in all of them is they're opening up demonic doorways, and you're in, it's like inviting demons to come and dwell within you, uh, and the more you do it, the harder they get their hooks into you, so um, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that in, and I know I, I, I'd like to do a teaching on um, uh, smoking, I've had a lot of requests for that, the problem I'm running into is with as limited as my time is, as much as this ministry's grown, with as much as I'm dealing with just with all the things I've went through in the last year, it's I just can't get to it all. It's very hard for me, if anybody were to email me and they ask me these really complex biblical questions, if I don't have a Word document on it, I just can't, I can't answer it. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm only one person, and I can only do so much. And um, I, not to say I haven't had help with a lot of people putting up teachings for me on the internet and stuff like that, but I still have a ton of work to do on the new website, and um, 
uh, I mean, I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there just to let people understand that, you know, if I don't get back to them about a particular issue, um, you know, there's usually a really good reason. But anyway, um, let's go further here. Going back to this article, uh, organized crime networks are now using sex trafficking because the risk of prosecution is so low. The survey determined that a high percentage of teens rescued from trafficking return to the system due to the strong bonds they form with their pimps. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but it is true. Uh, and it's typically a kind of thing where, you know, they're threatened. If they don't go out there and they don't make a quota on a per-day basis, you know, they're going to be beat. And it's almost like they form this bond with their abusers, and it's a demonic thing, but it does happen. Most Americans do not realize that child trafficking is a major problem on Main Street USA. Um, said Ernie Allen, president of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. These kids are victims. This is a 21st century slavery. Now, this is Raiders News Network, and they sell a, uh, it's a book or a video. No, it's a DVD, and it's called The Kinsey Syndrome. Now, I did a gigantic teaching on how pedophilia, um, child prostitution, slavery, and all that stuff is rampant worldwide, particularly within the highest echelons of the elite, of the government, uh, a lot of it, lawyers, doctors, it's terrible, but it was a huge study I did, nine parts I think, and I probably carried it out too long, people were just so devastated by that study, they couldn't listen to any more, and, um, but, I believe that of all the things going on on the planet, when you get into abortion and that subject, it's probably the most grievous thing on the planet that's going on in God's eyes. And that's why I believe I, it was so long what I did. Uh, to, to emphasize, this is not my opinion, this is going on, this is absolutely 100% documented. Mostly suppressed in the mainstream media, but there's been enough that's got out to be able to easily verify it. Anyway, this DVD called The Kinsey Syndrome... Um, it's uncovering the truth behind the father. This guy was the father of the sexual revolution. Why are, Americans, why are America's children disappearing? Working secretly in his attic, Dr. Kinsey trained pedophiles to work with stopwatches and record the responses of their children being raped. All in the name of science. This really did happen. Um, among his workers was a Nazi pedophile whose relationship to Kinsey was exploited in German court. The information from these crimes was then recorded in, quote, Table 34 of Kinsey's sexual behavior in the human male. How can lawmakers use such a document to define the moral parameters of our society? That'd be like using the Satanic Bible to define the moral parameters of our society. Why has the truth about Kinsey been suppressed for so long? This guy was elevated. He was talked about highly. I've watched, um, in times past, old movies out of Hollywood, and they would use this guy as an example of cutting-edge research where they would bring him up. So, you know, they really wanted to protect this, this devil. Um... Anyway, this is a DVD you, you can purchase. Who knows? It may be up on the uh, up on YouTube if you can. The Kinsey Syndrome. It's some, chances are somebody might have already put it up there if you want to go watch it. Uh, I don't know. I didn't look. But anyway, that's the uh, that's that part. Next article: Why are evangelical churches suddenly aligning with Antichrist numerology? 
Um, this is really freaky, this stuff we're going to be talking about. The latest trend among the contemporary Texas churches is a seemingly simple one. The start time of their services. Instead of using the traditional on-the-hour worship, they're picking times a minute or two off, or more. The loft, which is a great name for a church, the loft, uh, is the contemporary worship ministry in Woodlands United Methodist Church. It holds services at 629 on Saturdays and 929 and 1111 on Sunday mornings. Now, in Gematria, or the study, the really more into the occult study of numbers, the number 11 typically represents disorder, destruction, and judgment. We wanted the loft, this church, what this 501c3 whorehouse, uh, we wanted, and I mean that from whoring from God, we wanted the loft to be a different worship experience. And the kind of, and the times kind of reflect that. Hey, they got to be hip, you know. Uh, this was said by Rosalind Tunstall, the church's logistic coordinator. Yeah, I, I remember um, that's in the Bible, isn't it? There's evangelist, preacher, teacher, and then logistics coordinator. <laughs> I mean, come on, where do they come up with this stuff? The services have a rock concert feel. Quote: Rock concert feel. Again, that's. That's in the Bible, you know. Of course, we're not supposed to love the things of the world or, you know, be obsessed with those types of things. But yeah, the services have a rock concert feel with parishioners in casual clothing and sipping coffee from their cafe. Great, they got so they got a coffee bar in there. I think it's the best when they have Starbucks built into the church. I know some of these churches do. I think uh, Smiley Joel has a Starbucks in his. I may be wrong, but... It's good when you have the Starbucks Goddess Coffee, because it is. And if you ever saw Starbucks' original logo, don't you shouldn't be giving a dime to those devils, okay? Starbucks' original logo is so obscene, um, I'm not even going to describe it. But it's part of the one they have now, you're just not seeing the whole picture. And how they're absolutely aligned with the abortion community. You shouldn't be drinking that cursed coffee, or cursed products, or whatever they put out. its They're really super evil. And I do have a Word document on them. If you email me, I'll send it to you. Uh, anyway, um, my email address, drjohnson, drjohnson, Dr. Johnson, at the letter I, the letter X, dot netcom, N-E-T-C-O-M, dot com. Okay, so, going further. So when the people come... They'll usually ask about the weird times. Some people think they're symbolic of a Bible verse or something. They're not, said Tunstall. I mean, we wouldn't want to be symbolic of a Bible verse. He says, 11.11 seems to be among the most popular unconventional times. It's when Second Baptist Church hold its, holds its contemporary service, called the 11.11. We don't call it a service, we just call it the 11.11. I mean, that sounds hip, right? It features a worship band instead of an orchestra and choir, and Ed Young's son, Ben, who is an associate pastor at the church, gives the message. Uh, Zion Church in Garland, in Aldersgate, uh, UMC, in Lubbock, both hold 11.11 a.m. services as well. I didn't really realize this was such a big thing. Contemporary worship often sounds and looks a lot different than in the conventional church. And congregations are going high-tech, hard rock, to draw in the younger crowds. 
Oh, man. If this isn't the great falling away of the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I don't know what is. This is the apostasy, which is the root word for that falling away. And, it's, and guess what? At the same time, around the same time frame, the Antichrist, or the wicked one, will be revealed. And guess what else? At that very same time, it says that God shall send them strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Just read Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It's all in there. So this is part of the strong delusion. Now, why would these churches be so obsessed, with, particularly with occult numbers? And I mean, 11 is not... A good number, okay. Even, even if you study it from a biblical standpoint or from a uh, numerology occult standpoint, it stands for disorder, destruction, and judgment. Typically, okay. Well, I've said this before that there are a ton of people that call themselves pastors or whatever teachers or whatever you want to phrase yourself as reverend, and they're devils. And some of them are, are just closet Satanists. And I can't tell you how many interviews I've seen of people that were heavily involved in the occult, or were generational Luciferians, or were involved in the witch coven, where they have come out and said, yeah, you know, I was in this, the Lord Jesus Christ miraculously saved my soul, but let me tell you what's really going on. Because in the churches, they're, they're absolutely totally being infiltrated by occultists, and if the occultists can get in the position of where they're at the head of the church, something like this would be very significant to them. I can't imagine why anybody, other than if they weren't a Satanist, why they would want to do this, other than maybe to look hip. I mean, hopefully that would be, you know, a uh, maybe an innocent excuse for this because they're not educated on this type of stuff. But I know you could say, well, you're making a mountain out of molehill. Well, I tell you what, let's look at this a little bit further, Okay. Now, I finally found a synopsis of Tom Horn's new book, uh, which is Napoleon Rising 2012, okay? And this is like a synopsis. And Tom Horn is going to explain the, the occult significance behind numerology, uh, eleven, this whole 1111 in the new book, Napoleon Rising 2012. So if you want a better, more thorough explanation, you know, you can get the book and read it. Uh, And we're looking at the year 2012 as well. The hotly anticipated disaster movie 2012 was released on November 13th. uh, Directed by Roland Emmerich and distributed by Columbia Pictures, the film is already controversial. NASA's senior scientist for its Astrobiology Institute, David Morrison, in Skeptic Magazine, responded angrily last month to the film's viral marketing campaign, saying it exploits people's fears about the end of the Mayan long count calendar, which is December 21st, 2012. Now, just so you know, I did a whole study on 2012, Planet X, Nibiru, the Crystal Skulls, the whole nine yards, Okay, which is what a lot of the, the New Agers and occultists and a lot of the people are into right now. And if you want to find that out, just go up to the internet, YouTube, and key in 2012. You'll find it. Uh, going further, <clears throat> so this guy from NASA was upset about this. This comes despite the fact that in 2006, NASA published a report of its own uh, by Malsumi Dipati of the National Center for Atmospheric Research on what could be the most apocalyptic solar storm since records began over 400 years ago, scheduled to reach solar maximum in the year 2012. At least one modern Mayan elder named 
Apollinaro Chili Puxton. Now, that is a name. That's a name with character there. Apollinaro Chili Puxton? Man, live. Anyway, he agrees with Morrison's point of the view, however, claiming that the year 2012 represents transformation and the dawn of a new earthly order, not the end of the world. Okay, now we know it's not the end of the world because if it was, the Bible would not be true. It's not the end of the world, okay? But there's got to be a reason why Hollywood and all of these factions and functions of media are so geared in and focused in on this and why you keep seeing this theme repeat over and over and over again. And this is what I believe Tom Horn tries to get into in this new book, 2012. Uh, Going further, it says, but... According to um, Tom Horn, author of Apollyon Rise in 2012, which the full title is The Lost Symbol Found, this whole Dan Brown thing, it gets into that as well. And the final mystery of the Great Seal revealed. What is the Great Seal? They're on the back of the dollar bill. Those two highly, highly occultic symbols on the back of the dollar bill. Uh, you know, Novus Order Secorum, the whole, that whole thing. Anut Coeptus, Novus Order Secorum is over the pyramid, announcing the birth of the New World Order. It's right on your dollar bill. Right on your dollar bill. The pyramid with the 13 levels, 13 being the number of rebellion, the year 1776 at the bottom of it in in Roman numerals, this is the year the Illuminati started by Adam Weishaupt on uh, May 1st, 1776, which was actually a high occult holiday known as Beltane, where they sacrifice humans. You could go on and on and on about the seals. Doc Marquis done a really good study on the seals. Um, and he was a generational Luciferian. He'd know better than I would. But anyway, that's the title of his book. Uh, and he reveals the biggest secrets related to the year 2012 and the so-called New Order of the Ages that have been hidden in plain sight for over 200 years in Washington, D.C. and at the Vatican. The secret has to do with what Numerous ancient societies, and there were plenty of them, according to Tom Horn, believed about this year 2012, and that it forecast when, quote, the gods would return to earth. Well, didn't Jesus say, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man? Where do we get all the, all the mythic legends of the gods, the Greek and all these legends? Where does that stem from? It stems from Noah's day. The gods came down. The Bible says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took them wives, all that they chose. These angels fell from their first estate, as the book of Jude relates. And they pursued strange flesh. It was, it was not something that they should have been doing. They left their first estate. They left their first home, which was heaven. Fell and came down and took um, human wives. Okay, and this is when this is where we get the legends of these gods because to a human, this is how they appeared. Okay, Jesus said, "As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man." This is something we should be looking for. Now, Maitreya is saying that he is going to be the head of this contingency. They're going to refer to themselves as the Ascended Masters. okay? And they're going to come with all lines, signs, and wonders, and miracles, just as the Bible predicts 
that will happen, and if it be possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The Bible says in Revelation that the primary way the Antichrist and the false prophets are, and the false prophet is going to deceive the whole world is through lying signs and wonders and miracles. It's very clear. It says it in multiple places. So they're going to come as gods. In fact, they're going to do one better. They're going to come as our creators. This is where we get the concept of intelligent design, which Satan doesn't mind too much, because intelligent design teaches at its core that the, the what they call the ancient astronaut theory, where these gods, these ascended masters, or, or whatever you want to call them, aliens, they came down, and they actually created the human race. We're like their little science project. And we've messed things up so bad, polluted the, the environment, done this and done that so bad that they've got to come back and straighten things out. And we have to take our next evolutionary step to usher in the age of Aquarius out of the age of Pisces. And Maitreus says he's going to be the head of that. Now, if it absolutely goes down, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have a crystal ball or whatever. But it's a definitely a plausible explanation as to what might happen regarding that time. So, <clears throat> let's go further here. Okay, so, this the secret has to do with what numerous ancient societies believed about the year 2012. That it forecasts when the gods would return to earth. Heralding the start of a pagan golden, a new pagan golden age. This absolutely lines up with all the research that we have presented you in the last three plus years of this ministry that God's put me into here. So, then it goes on to say, um, I think this is quoting Tom Horn, yeah. From Christians to New Agers, skeptics to historians, the world is presently enthralled with the meaning of the year 2012. In general, the excitement, or dread as may be the case, surrounds a variety of predictions made by ancient and modern sources concerning a portentous moment in time. Mankind is on the course toward unprecedented global upheaval, according to these experts. When the life and all, when the earth and all the life on it will undergo transformation, transformation marked by the end of the 13th Bakhtun, of the Mesoamerican Mayan long count calendar. The exact the exact end date of the Mayan calendar is December 21st, 2012, during the winter solstice at 11:11 Greenwich Mean Time. That's when, you know, that's when, you know, they're saying it's the end of this calendar. December 21st, 2012, winter solstice, which is one of the highest satanic holidays there is. At guess what time? 11.11. The sun will align with the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy, an event that occurs only every 13,000 years, according to them. The procession of the equinoxes will conclude at a 26, will conclude a 26,000 year cycle, bringing the astrological age of Pisces to an end and introducing the beginning of Aquarius. Again, this is absolute, total confirmation of so much of what I've reported to you in the past. Not to say, because I think I'm so smart, I'm just saying it's cross-confirming. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing is established, this information is just keeps getting confirmed over and over. Uh, when the next cycle begins, and the sun, so the age of, the beginning of Aquarius is when the next cycle begins, and the sun rises out of the mouth of Ouroboros, 
which is the great serpent of the Milky Way. Now, an Ouroboros, just so you know, is representative of a circle, and that circle is a snake, and the snake is eating its own tail in a circle form. There's a lot of companies that use that as a logo. Um, And it's a very highly occult symbol. And it's represented in different ways. It can actually be represented, even not by a snake's body, but almost like by a circle that that um, I think Lucent Technology has as an Ouroboros-type um, symbol. And so many of these companies, these big companies, they'll actually have a cult uh, significance behind their, their logos. So anyway, just so you know, you don't want to be wearing any of that garbage. The, this is the sun rising in Sagittarius, the centaur with a bow, the symbol for Nimrod, coming out of the mouth of the Leviathan, and the sun god rising again, who is Nimrod, Osiris, Apollo. Okay, This is what you know. high-level occultists believe, is what we're reporting to you. Like the Aztec and the Inca, the Maya believed earth seasons and celestial cycles were affected by otherworldly and prophetic importance. Mayan priests interpreted such activity and coupled it with mathematics of their calendars, making predictions based on the terrestrial and celestial cycles. The Mayan were not alone among ancient cultures in this knowledge, says Horn. For instance, the Hindu Kali Yuga calendar started approximately during the Mayan 5th Great Cycle and also predicts global earth changes around the year 2012. The Cherokee Indians likewise viewed the date of 2012 as significant. The Cherokee Rattlesnake Prophecies, also known as the Chickamaugan prophecy or the Cherokee Star Constellation prophecies are part of the series of apocalyptic prophecies made by members of the Cherokee tribe during 1811-1812. In other words, if the Mayans were the only ones that had ever this had ever meant anything to, I don't think there'd be such a huge fuss, but because so many factions, so many cults around the world also predicted 2012 was going to be a really cataclysmic time, and, and all these changes. That's why you're seeing all the fervor over this. Okay, And we're going to look at that further. The prophecies are very similar to the Mesoamerican belief and are viewed by scholars as referring to the return of the feathered serpent god, Quetzalcoatl. You'll see that repeated over and over, this Quetzalcoatl coming back. In the year 2012, like the Maya, the Cherokee calendar ends mysteriously in the year 2012, when astronomical phenomena related to Jupiter, Venus, Orion, and Pleiades causes the powers of the star system to awaken. These newly, these nearly 200-year-old prophecies conclude uh, with, and the Cherokee calendar shall end in 2012, and the coming of the Pale One again. Much of the publicized work by Tom Horn in Napoleon Rising 2012 uh, seems to be unprecedented in the 2012 research community. For instance, the claims that Vieira, or the section of the Zohar, which is a collection of books written in medieval Aramaic over 700 years ago, uh, this includes the signs heralding the coming of the Messiah with the fascinating date of his appearance set late in 2012. But of all such disclosures is the layout of Washington, D.C., the secrets of the Capitol Dome, as Horn calls them, Tom Horn, and especially the Great Seal of the, of the United States and its direct connection to the year 2012 that will be the most fascinating um, 
regarding this. Now, normally I'll dwell on a lot of this stuff, but it is it is um, interesting to know that this is how the most high-level New Agers, occultists, Luciferians, Satanists are looking at things. And we're not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us. And um, just looking at the architecture of Washington, D.C. alone and all the occult significance there um, is pretty an, an amazing study. Going further, it says, Horn provides evidence that Freemasons and those working with them were aware of the Mesoamerican belief system and the calendar ending in 2012, actually incorporating it directly into the design of the Capitol Dome of Washington, D.C. As, as can be vividly observed in the commissioned work of Constantino Brumidi. Born July 26, 1805 in Rome, Brumidi was an Italian-Greek painter who made his name restoring 16th century Vatican frescoes, as well as, an, as artwork in several Roman palaces. Following the French occupation of Rome in 1849, Brumidi immigrated to the United States, where he became a citizen and began work for the Jesuits in New York. The Jesuits being one of the most satanic, corrupt factions of Catholicism. Okay. Um, abruptly in 1854, the Jesuits financed a trip for Brumidi to go to Mexico. This was 1854, where he painted a representation of the Holy Trinity in Mexico City Cathedral. However, while there, he engaged in the curious task of making copious notes of the ancient Aztec stone calendar known as the Stone of the Sun, which ends in the year 2012. Immediately upon his return from Mexico, Brumidi took his collection of notes and drawings to Washington, D.C., where he met Quartermaster General Montgomery C. Miggs, Supervisor of Construction over the Wings and the Dome of the United States Capitol. This is when it was being built, the U.S. Capitol. Brumidi was quickly commissioned to be the government, quote, government painter, and began adorning the hallways and the rotunda of the Capitol with frescoes sacred to the Freemasons, including the, apothea, uh, the apotheosis of George Washington, who was a high-level Freemason. We've documented that in several teachings. And the famous frieze of American history. Brumidi died in 1880, and three other artists completed the frieze, but not before Brumidi attached to the historic work. Sometime between 1878 and 1880, a scene called Cortez and Montezuma at the Mexican Temple, featuring the Aztec calendar stone and other important Masonic symbols. Okay, so again, um, Riddles in Stone, the video by Cutting Edge is unbelievable at documenting the corrupt architecture of Washington, D.C. and how it relates to the Freemasons and, and, you know, the whole thing, how it ties in with Luciferianism and and it's just horrific. But Washington, D.C. is an absolute study in that subject. And, and, you know, that Riddles in Stone DVD really gets into that in detail. And it confirms what we're talking about today. He actually, I actually give you a picture of this uh, this uh, freeze, I guess they call it, of Cortez and Montezuma at the Mexican Temple by Brumidi. The Stone of the Sun depicted in Brumidi's freeze 
which it's in like the background of this, what I just, what we were just uh, looking at. I know you can't see it, but you will. Uh, I'll send this out by email and also have this document attached to the PDF uh, or attached to the teaching up on contendingfortruth.com. Uh, the Stone of the Sun depicted in Bermides Freeze is based on the actual 12-foot-tall, 4-foot-thick, 24-ton, monolithic Aztec stone calendar. During the pinnacle of Aztec civilization, when the Aztec dominated all the other tribes of Mexico, the stone rested atop the Tichonichan Temple in the midst of the most powerful and largest city in Mesoamerica. Today, Mexico City Cathedral, where Bermidi worked, occupies the site. The Spaniards buried the stone there, and it remained hidden beneath the cathedral until it was rediscovered in 1790, when it was raised and embedded into the wall of the cathedral, where it remains, where it remained until 1885. Today, the Stone of the Sun is on display in the National Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City's Chapalupec Park. And I get there's a picture of it here. You can see it. Uh, the inclusion of the symbolism in the U.S. Capitol Dome is important, says Tom Horn. The sun god, Tonathuth, whose face and protruding tongue are seen at the center of the, of the sunstone, is the god of the present fifth time, which began in 3114 B.C. and ends in 2012. The Aztec solar calendar is second only in accuracy to the Mayan calendar, which also ends December 21st, 2012. Horn provides other surprising connections to the year 2012 in the Capitol Dome and the structures immediately surrounding Washington, D.C., ultimately laying the ground for work for what he calls, quote, the true lost symbol which Dan Brown completely missed. This symbol is connected to the Capitol Dome as the ancient structural representation of the womb of Isis and the obelisk which is representing the male phallus of Osiris. How is this connected to the year 2012 and the return of Osiris Apollo Nimrod? Um, is disturbing. I think he gets more into that in the book, though, The Napoleon Rising 2012. Another remarkable connection between the founding of the United States and the Mayan calendar in 2012 is Horn's research um, that the Mayans themselves recognized a link between the number 13 and the year 1776, the start of the Illuminati, and 2012 in cycles and illustrations. Horn provides strong evidence that the Mayan 13 calendar cycle 13 cycles that began in the year 1776 and ends in 2012 form the basis of the 13 steps of the unfinished pyramid on the Great Seal of the United States. Now I know none of this would, would really matter to a Christian, but it matters significantly to an occultist. Um, it is no coincidence that the start and the ending dates of the final 13 time cycles of the Mesoamerican Mayan, Mayan long count calendar are reflected in the 13 steps of the Pyramid of the United States, of the Great Seal. Furthermore, that the steps of the Pyramid were intended to convey units of time has been an open secret for many years. Though he was not sure of what to make of it himself, Paul Foster Case agreed with this concept many years ago, writing, Since the date 1776 is placed on the bottom of the Pyramid of the Great Seal of the United States, and since the number 13 has been so important in the symbolism of the seal, 13 being rebellion as well, it is not unreasonable to suppose that the 13 colonies of the pyramid may represent 13 time periods as well. 
That's typical. In, in occult symbology, typically there's multiple meanings of different things. And so that's very common. Horn concludes that in 1776 was not only an important year in American history, but a clock ticking downward 13 cycles of time ending in the year 2012, when this prophecy, which is richly detailed in, the, in this book you just wrote, encoded on the great seal about the return of Apollo and Osiris may be fulfilled, and a new pagan new age begins. In Napoleon Rising 2012, Horn discusses how this god, Apollo, is identified in several places in the New Testament as the spirit that will inhabit the Antichrist and give rise to the Novus Order Sequorum, or the New Order of the Ages, New World Order. Explicitly, what the Mayan, Tolik, Aztec, Cherokee, and others said will occur in 2012. Consequently, NASA may be right. 2012 may not represent the end of the world, but it may signal the beginning of the end. And I give you a link if you want to know more about that as well. Okay, so next part. Just a this is a link, and actually not only a link but a uh, audio file you can hear entitled "20 Things You Will Need to Know to Survive." Sad truth is that the vast amount of Americans would last little more than a month on what they have stored up in their homes. Most of us are so used to running out to the supermarket or to Walmart for whatever we need to we need. We never stop to consider what would happen if we suddenly were not able to do that. Uh, remember, the Bible says, "The prudent man foreseeth the evil." hideth himself, and the simple pass on and are punished. And the Bible says to consider the ant, for he stores up, you know, his food in the summer and so that he can eat in the winter. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what an ant will do. And that they're exceedingly wise. So, just something to think about. Already the U.S. economy is starting to stumble about like a drunken frat boy. Uh, it would all, all it would take for the entire U.S. to resemble New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina would be a major war or terror attack, deadly pandemic, massive natural disaster to strike at just the right time, pushing the teetering U.S. economy over the edge. We really are on the razor's edge here. So just how would you survive if you suddenly could not rely on huge international corporate giants to feed, clothe, and supply you and your family? Do you have a plan? Unless you already live in a cave or in complete or a complete total follower of the established media, you should be able to see very clearly that our society is more vulnerable now than ever. This year, there have been unprecedented number of large earthquakes around the world and volcanoes all over the globe are awakening. You can just take a look at what has happened in Haiti and Iceland to see how devastated a natural disaster can be. Not only that, but we have a world that is full of lunatics in power, positions of power, and if one of them decides to set off a nuclear, chemical, or biological weapon in a major city to paralyze the entire region. Are you prepared? The following is a list of 20 things you and your family will need to do to survive. Now again, we also look at the Bible verses. Um, you know, uh, let's see. 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I don't, think there's a whole lot of hope of that happening in America, but we can individually do these things as Christians. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The Bible also says, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee, Psalm 56.3. 
So if you're afraid in God, you trust in Him. And that rhymes. What time I am afraid, I'll trust in thee. Psalm 56.3. Hebrews 13.6. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Bible also says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. It also says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It also says in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So I always like to counterbalance these types of things that we report on with Bible verses to build your faith up. Because faith is the main thing that so much, from a biblical standpoint, hinges upon faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want more faith, get in the Word of God. Okay? And that builds your faith. Make sure you're reading the right Bible. The English version, the King James Bible, is the Bible version you want to read. Um, next article, and again, I'm not going to get into 20 things you need to know to survive. You can click on the link, it'll be in PDF format. And there's also an audio link you can listen to as well. Next thing, I saw this the other day. It was called a Dakota Fire Pit. It's a survival thing, okay? But again, I'm trying to throw in a little bit more of a diverse thing. We're we're covering some more Bible verses at the beginning. We're giving you some practical survival tools kind of at the end. And in between, we're like covering the current events. I'm not saying it's going to work out like that every single week. But I'm trying to kind of have more of a balanced... Uh, approach here, where I'm giving you some proactive things you can do, we're giving you the spiritual things you need to focus and dwell on, right up front, and then we're kind of showing you Satan's devices in between, so that you're not taken unawares, so that you're not destroyed for lack of knowledge, so this doesn't just sneak up on you. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible predicts it's going to be this way. The word wax means to grow. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the end times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is what we should be expecting to see. Okay? And so, this shouldn't be like this huge, gigantic shock. It's Bible clear clearly predicts this. Um, this Dakota fire pit, it shows you how to actually make it. And this would be if you were out in literally the wilderness. You could use this on a camping trip as well. But it's just a way more efficient way of actually making a fire, particularly if you're going to use it for cooking. Um, anyway, it tells you how to build it there, and there's some links there. So that's all I have for today. And... Um, Lord willing, we'll, we'll see you again next week. I thank all the people that have prayed for, for me and my family, this ministry, and uh, all the people that have sent in uh, donations. I, I, I just, the Lord Jesus Christ, richly bless you. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Humbly, we come before you. We thank you for this day and this time you've given us. I uh, thank you, Lord, for letting me be able to do another teaching. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. And as we forgive those, Lord God, that have sinned against us, I pray, Lord God, for your mercy that you would forgive us. We thank you, Lord God, for what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his finished work on the cross to save our souls, Lord. I pray, God, that your name be glorified through the body of Christ, through wherever your word or your truth is being preached worldwide. 
And we love you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.